Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Casper the Friendly Ghost? <laughs> God damn it, I'm excited to be here. Yes, I know, I know, we both are. So, favorite films of 1995. We usually do this a little differently. We usually would have done this list and then followed it up with a long deep dive episode on a movie from 1995, in this case maybe Heat. But I want to do it a little differently because I was researching Heat. We decided to do that deep dive first. And I'm like, this is one of the best movie years of our lifetime, if not like of all lifetimes. Like since film, this is one of the all-time greats. Not if you look at the Oscar nominees necessarily, not if you look at the Oscar winners, but if you go a little extra layer down, you're going to find wow, 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 just like complete gold in any number of categories. We're going to talk about a lot of them, but yeah, 1995 let's just get into it you know i think it's going to be a lot of fun this stemmed for me way back when to our twitter followers that might remember about maybe like a year or two ago we did a a series of chronicling our favorite movie of every year yeah and when i remember getting to 1995 just being completely steamrolled right by just like are you kidding me and i remember i intentionally oh. picked a different one than my number one cuz you ended up i don't even remember i, th- I don't remember what i said i don't want to say what yeah, i said cuz i don't want to spoil this but i remember intentionally picking a different one than you just so we could have two movies to talk about yeah. but like it's a fantastic year. Like some of my all-time favorite films of all time, we're going to talk about in this episode, and they came out like weeks apart. It's Sometimes insane. both of them star Robert De Niro, and they came out like two weeks apart. And you're like, by way of getting into it, like I wanted to know where you were in '95 in terms of like movie dumb because I know you came to movies a little later than I did, and we're both young. You know, I turned ten in 1995, but I'm already years into an obsession with film, and '95 was big for me because that was when like kind of the wheels were allowed to come off and whether I was quote unquote allowed to watch stuff, I don't know, but I just did anyway Mm because I like, you know, just snuck around and did it and rented movies. So this is what I'm watching, like pretty much uh, most of the movies we're going to list, but also like Taxi Driver, Pulp Fiction I saw for the first time in 95. So I'm like really learning a lot and really for the, not the first time, but like taking in more than just the surface level movies like I'm starting to study directors and like whoa what else did they make I want to watch that so but this is kind of a turning point year because we get so much great shit in one year I I was yeah nine I believe and I don't remember the year you were born I mean well I mean mathematically I don't know it's weird because when you're born in September like you like well I'm August yeah so you split it so you split it and I don't know what that math is so we'll just go with it I was nine you were nine for four months of the year for, for, for a year one time and um, I remember, I remember I, so I was not quite graduated into the level sure, that you were at, sure. but I was certainly, movies were pretty much my obsessive thing. You were watching them and appreciating them. I, and, yeah. and, but, and I think I was watching them for the fun component. Sure, sure, of course. So I had not really gotten to the point where I was like, oh my God, this is what a really good movie is. But um, that being said... Well, uh, yeah, because I want to know, are you watching like mature shit in 95 or is it? Oh, most, yeah. Oh, you were? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, but most I, nine-year-olds aren't. That's all. Yeah, I just, exactly. I just wanted, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, but th- those weren't taking, I wasn't taking to those in quite the same way as I was. Yeah, sure. With some of the movies that we'll list on mm-hmm. here that now looking back, like I look at our list and I go, oh, well, these are all the movies I was watching as a kid. Right, but right. then I look at the list and I go, and these are the movies that I'm championing now as, as an adult. As yeah. an adult. Yeah. M- multiple rewatches, a little more context, a little 
like mature, like we're going to talk about some heavy fucking movies today. Oh that, man, that I honestly did see when I was ten and didn't really have. I I couldn't have even like understood all of the dynamics that were going on in it. Like hard R rated movies. I mean the fact. God, I love my parents. The fact that they just like let me do this and let me watch whatever. Like that is why I am the way I am now because yep. they just let me. You know, they saw that I could watch something that had like some crazy elements to it. But then after, I wasn't like going like, "Oh, that was so cool." When you know that sex scene or that yeah, violence, yeah. it wasn't that. I was like, "Do you know who that cinematographer is?" And my mm-hmm. parents would look at me with these open eyes, like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, like or like, "How did that shot happen?" And they're like. I don't know, like, <laughs> huh? So then I would go to them, like, I want to get other movies by, like, Dante Spinotti. And they're like, who's that? I'm like, oh, he was the cinematographer of Heat. And they're like, okay, okay. son. <laughs> I mean, this is before internet, so, like, I couldn't look this stuff up. So it's really cool of them to let me do that. But I want to kind of start with, because we're going to go through a lot of movies today, and I split it up into some fun categories. We will arrive at, like, a top-tier level where... We, the way we did this is I told you, like, give me all your 95 movies that are like top tier that you stand behind. And we did our list independently. You sent me yours. We basically have 15 shared, like mm-hmm. uh, kind of essentially like there's some some outliers, but we had 15 top tier ones to talk about. But like my fr- when I was initially writing the first outline, my first pass at this episode, I listed 70 fucking movies. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I can't like put my name behind 70 movies because that's just too damn many. But we're going to, you know, kind of cruise through some, but then we're also going to give some dedicated time to others. But I, I was watching a lot of the movies we're going to talk about that are really intense. But I was also watching like Casper. Yeah. I was also watching and obsessed with a goofy movie. I fucking <laughs> loved that movie so much. Or like Heavyweights, Jumanji, yeah. Toy Story. These, yep. I, you know, my first category was um, I'm a big kid now because a lot of those movies like still hold up. Like Jumanji obviously is something that's turned into something else. but that movie still holds up. Toy Story obviously is still widely regarded as like a turning point in animation. But yeah, so like I was still watching kids stuff too. I wasn't just yeah. watching mature stuff. But like, what were your, some of your favorite ninety five kids movies? I remember seeing Toy Story in theaters. Yeah, and and in both you and I are not the biggest fans of not that we're not fans, but it's just a genre that we don't really connect to too much in terms of animation. Yeah, that's because my parents were letting me fucking watch Taxi Driver. Yeah. <laughs> so I had I formed a connection with that and not with animated movies. That's yep. the only reason. I don't hate on animated movies, but when all of my friends were kids, you all were watching pretty much exclusively animated movies and you developed this like nice loving connection with them. I did, but I was also watching, you know, Pulp Fiction yeah. as a 10-year-old and like developing a connection to that, a really strong one and as years went by, I found myself going to a goofy movie less and less and more to Pulp Fiction. And that's just the way it goes. You know, you're so right, because now that I think about it, I'm the same way. Like my mom let me watch so many movies that were not of the age group yeah. that kids should be watching. So when I am seeing, you know, movies like Terminator 2 and right. Aliens, right. like my James Cameron love. But so now when you show me an animated movie, I'm like, ah, I'd rather be yeah. over here. But that being said, I did like Toy Story. Yeah. I still yeah. like Toy Story. Um, I think that movie holds up. I think it is a very, very well done movie. And the animation is something that doesn't bother me. I'm very picky about what type of animation I like. But um, you, uh, Jumanji, 
that movie, it, it, it's peak Robin Williams doing oh, his thing. It so is. It's so much fun. Like, oh. it really is a good movie. And I, um, but the one that you, you brought up that I, I stand all behind is Casper. Fucking love Casper. Casper, Christina Ricci, when I was that age, I had such a crush on her in that movie. Oh, yeah. And, but I mean, I just want to talk a little bit about Casper and like that movie is extremely sad. It really is. Like, it really, really is. For like a PG kids movie, for a PG very- movie, like we're dealing with a very broken family between the uh, father, awesome Bill Pullman. Pullman, we love Pullman. Love the Pullman. And um and Christina Ricci, but I mean they're dealing with like a real tragedy of the loss of of the matriarch of their family. Exactly. And and everything that happens in this movie is just really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, you also got Devin Sawa. So there's nothing sad about that. Nope. For goddamn sure. <laughs> Love Devin Sawa. He was a he was the champion of the '90s. Yeah, and then I mean he just kind of faded out as it happens. You know, he Final Destination. He left then, his mark. Yeah, he did. He did. Idle Hands. Oh god, ah. but he's great. His one scene in Casper. It's great. Oh yeah, I'll still love Casper. I mean. Kathy Mayorty from Raging Bull is like yeah. the main villain in it. I love that. You know, makes oh god, she's just so great. Just to say, like, we're gonna get into very mature films, but we definitely were watching kid stuff. And like another to move on to the next category, I have two called they don't make them like they used to. This is and, it, man. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. Comedy is where yes. we're gonna start. And you and I have talked. A lot of people talk about the death of the mainstream comedy. It's not really around anymore, mm-hmm. or they're safe, they're straight to streaming and not really my vibe certainly but to see something as like insane and crazy even as like billy madison and tommy boy which were hugely popular and then friday get shorty mall rats i mean i know i like these and then there's one that is hugely important to you that you're gonna do a little you know deeper dive on you've talked about it before on the pod yeah yeah like the we don't see this level of comedy anymore that's all we just don't see like a guy you know like a grown man like going back to school (laughs) <laughs> well, I I think Tommy Boy, I think Tommy Boy is one of those ones that really stands that test of time where you think about certain comedies from the past. Like, I mean, us showing our age, like I remember being at this time thinking in terms of like movies like Caddyshack. Yeah, yeah. They were regarded as like, these are the classic comedies mm-hmm. ever made. And and I think Tommy Boy is in that conversation. This way we look at. I personally always think Black Sheep is funnier. I do. Yeah, I agree. I I prefer that. But that movie, I think, holds up in terms of the way that people view certain comedies. Right. And and and, and for my money, I think Chris Farley was the funniest person I've ever seen in my lifetime. I think he is just on another level. And um, so Tommy Boy, yes. Billy Madison, that movie is still talked about. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that movie is hilarious. It's just so funny. You want to go feed that horse a bunch of beer, Beer. get it all drunk? Get it all messed up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And and I will be a very big fan of Mallrats. I know a lot of people aren't fans of that, but everything Kevin Smith did in the 90s was something that I bought and could not (laughs) buy enough of. I... That kid is back on the escalator. Like, that's such a <laughs> random quote that I always say for no reason. But I love Mallrats. Yeah. But the one that I am going to talk about is one, I mean, just earlier this month, it was Rex, Rex Manning, Manning Day. Day. Yes, it was. And we mustn't dwell. And Empire Records. Anyone who knows the pod knows how I feel about it. It's just a movie that could only exist in 1995 with that cast, mm-hmm, with that mm-hmm. music. It is a time capsule movie of that time that I almost kind of like wonder, like if you showed a 
16-year-old kid today this movie, one, would they like it? Or two, would they even be interested in the music? Yeah, or would the they... fact, like, what is this? It's like, oh, that's a record store. Those yeah, like, what, like, like, I just wonder how they would take to it. Uh, it'd be a very interesting thing to ask a young person today. So yeah. Like, what... I play records. What do you think of that movie? Well, you'd have to probably have to see it first. I don't even know if they have, you know, it's a shame. They but if they had, it would be great to get, you know, a younger opinion. Because this movie was of a time. And yes. people, like... If they got on board with it, they loved it. Like you, it sounds like, you know, they don't make them like they used to action. We have a lot of action movies that are varying degrees of absurd and fun stuff like Assassins, Crimson Tide, Desperado, fucking love Desperado, Goldeneye, one of my favorite James Bond movies, Johnny Mnemonic, Money Train, Mortal Kombat, a personal favorite of yours growing up. Yes, it is. The Net, the best movie ever made about the internet. Yes, it was. Species, which was, I get, you know, action sci-fi, The Prophecy with Christopher Walken, Virtuosity, starring Denzel and Russell Crowe before they were together on screen in American Gangster. The movie's nuts. <laughs> My favorite action movie of 1995 has to be Die Hard with the Vengeance. 100%. Yeah, because it's very rare to get the first great movie, and everyone loves it, and then you get the kind of bummer sequel that doesn't live up to it. That's common. To come back for the third, and you bring the original director back, and it's not in L.A. It doesn't take place, you know, during like Christmas time, Somerset, and it just works. And yeah. it, this is often brought up in conversation of like, is this better than the first one? And, you know, people make arguments either way, like the chemistry between him and Samuel L. Jackson is absolutely perfect. All the riddles in it are fun and engaging. Jeremy Irons is oh. great the way they, you know, bring it back to, yep. oh, my God, to Hans. A truly great action movie that we we really don't like see stuff like this anymore because like I mean honestly after the third Die Hard movie John McClane turned into like a superhero but yeah. in this one he could still get hurt and you know Willis you know Bruce Willis has been on our minds a lot lately mm-hmm. because he's retired from acting from health issues but this is him this is just peak Bruce like jump, getting out of that fucking subway car after it wrecks and he's just laughing <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh god i love him i love i've always loved this movie i've seen it a gazillion times this is one of the movie memories i have of my dad oh, nice. where um because my dad just was not a big movie guy he yeah just, he, he 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 likes certain comedies but um he we would go and he would have no idea what movie we were going to see. Right. I would be directing the traffic there. So I said, Dad, let's go see Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah. And I'm like nine. <laughs> and so I remember my dad. I don't even think he had even heard what Die Hard was. Like, mm. I don't know. But uh, I can't remember. But we get to the movie theater. And the opening, like, big scene of the movie is where Bruce Willis has to do something that would never be made in a movie today. No. Wear a sign. And, that yeah. says oh, something yeah. very bad. And I remember when the shot comes where they reveal it. Yeah. My dad, I'll never forget it. He like literally like like moved around in his seat and was like looking back as if there was like a concession worker that right. was going to do something about this. Oh my! And he's just and I just look at him and he goes, "What what 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 are we seeing?" <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's yeah. very true. Like the racial component of it, which you know is put in motion because of Jeremy Irons. He's just fucking with John McClane. But like to do that, I. Everyone who saw that movie, even if you see it for the first time now, you're like, oh, my God, yeah. you know, white man standing in the middle of Harlem. Like, it's like, yeah, dude, this is uh, not going to you're about to have a very bad day. Indeed. And, and <laughs> I remember my dad asked me, like, he goes, do you do you know what that means? And, and at that I did. I had like a very, very, right. very like young, rough understanding of like how bad this was. Yeah. And, and so but I at the same time, like it was also a weird moment for him, I imagine is like, does my son know 
certain things right, right. like what like what and then and then i remember because he's not comfortable with violence oh okay, and so yeah. when this was all these action things were happening i would just be like oh and he'd be like mm. right right it's hilarious it. i love the uh, he was not happy with me when we walked out of that movie oh well i love the stoop dude who sees him and he's like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> it's like they all march over to him oh my god uh what great a scene. movie yeah it is a great movie my next category is let's hear it for the bombs because we had a few bombs in 1995 that are still widely regarded as some of the biggest hollywood bombs in history starting off with rennie harlan's cutthroat island quentin tarantino is actually a pretty good admirer of this movie which i find interesting i haven't seen it since like 95 96 don't have Enough of a working memory about it. Um, Jade. Hell, Jade. <laughs> Jade. Directed by William Friedkin. Judge Dredd with a sly. Saw that in theaters. <laughs> oh, so did I. Showgirls, a fantastic that's movie. your that's, favorite. Oh, yeah. It's it had a new life, you know. People understand it now. Not really, but... <laughs> People understand it now. <laughs> understand what he was going for. And then, of course, uh, Waterworld. Kevin oh. Costner put all of his everything into it and it uh didn't really work out for you bud no it worked Waterworld fucks yeah but it's i it didn't fuck in terms no, of box office no it, it did lost not it, no of money. it did not but shitload i saw that in the theater i remember i remember seeing that i love raw world yeah i god i haven't <laughs> How did I say Waterworld. <laughs> i love water world water world dennis hopper's having a fucking blast in that he movie. is he's he a, is he's a lunatic you know the best movie with kevin costner with gills is I thought there was only one. What's the there second is. one? Waterworld, baby. Oh, that, what a stupid <laughs> ass joke. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Indie subversive cinema, my next category. Short category, but there were some movies that like were kind of a big deal at the time, but then were sensations shortly after they were, le- were released. The biggest was Kids, Larry mm-hmm. Clark's Kids. Um, the Addiction with Abel Ferrara is a great vampire movie the doom generation with rose mcgowan really good just indie movie heavy that's james mangold's first movie and then lahane with vincent cassell is a fucking brutal french movie black and white that i highly recommend i didn't see that in 95 i didn't see any of these in 95 i saw them later because they had some indie clout from 1995 yeah people, like still talk about them and they're ones that i say with caution like go back and revisit especially kids it's not one i'm revisiting a lot that's like jesus but that's still that out of all of these movies, though, th- that is the one that I think people still talk about the most. Yeah, that could be the 95 movie that people definitely talk about the most. It's like tiny, brutal, realistic New York set movie like it's that really did start something. It was a yes, phenomenon. Yeah. It was a sensation. There were a few months there when like everyone was talking about that. Like, have you seen it? Oh, my God. Have you? Is this the yeah. way it really is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Written by Harmony Corinne. Jesus. Oh, wow. So that kind of ends. Our fun categories. Now I thought we would move into these top tier, like these 15 top tier ones that we're we're definitely going to have like a lot of honorable mentions at the end that we're going to kind of cruise by. So these aren't the only movies we loved from 1995, but these were the ones we could kind of whittle down and talk about. So I put them in alphabetical order. We'll just dive into them. You ready? Was born ready. First is my favorite Ron Howard movie. I think the best movie he made. It's Apollo 13. The thing about this movie is this movie still really holds up. It's PG and it moves great. Like it's just, it's kind of perfect in its own way. Like yeah. it really moves. You get Ed Harris being emotional, not really a common thing. Bill Paxton, we love you. You know, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, this perfect cast like at the time. And then Tom Hanks like leading the way in the middle of his amazing run, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, starting with even A League of Their Own, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump. Now he has this. I've just, 
it's an easy movie. It's not difficult to comprehend. It's easy to put on. And it's just one that I feel like is universally liked, and if not loved. It's just really well done, really well made. Everything about it holds up. Like you watch that movie now, the way it looks, like you never once question the like the special effects. Yeah. I think honestly, they look better with a movie like that than mm-hmm. what they would try to do with that today, probably. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, yeah. And you, I mean, an all star cast, like and all those actors are at the peak of their performances. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you just said it, but I just feel like we just can't shout enough love for Bill Paxton. Oh, Paxton. He's so good. The way he gets like sick up there and, you know, oh. it's just it's so believable. And yeah. I mean, Ed Harris, like when when it's all done and he just collapses into that mm-hmm. chair and just looking around and some they're like, hey, you know, we did it. And his line delivery of we cut and then he turns and he's like, excuse me, sir, but I believe this is going to be our finest hour. It's yeah. like. Oh, fucking that's a pro right there just nailing the line delivery oh i love him for some reason my biggest like memory like when i think of that movie there's one scene that like bursts in my mind and it's when kevin bacon gets the phone call oh, and he flips out and yeah. he just goes whoa yeah like you would be that excited yeah, yeah you would but there's like a it's like a far shot yeah, like they I, cut far away out of and the then, shower yeah. yeah and he just does that for some reason every time someone says apollo 13 that's that. what goes in my head still no measles i love that okay <laughs> sinise is great in that oh he's just good i can definitely tell you that my most watched movie in 1995 without question was michael bay's first film bad boys i must have watched this my friends and i this was like an every weekend thing i still know every single line of this movie because i watch it so so many times great action movie starring martin lawrence Taylor leone joe pantaleano is that it is it well it's a really good movie though and i mean the chemistry between everyone is very believable but i just wanted to point that out because i still like love this movie absolutely the movie i watched the most in 95 you might absolutely. say the one actor that you're missing he slaps he slaps he does yes he quite literally jesus um Tay Leone. She's great, dude. Did you go she, to college? I, I think she is such an underrated actor. I agree. Like, I agree. every I've time. always loved her. Always. Yeah. She didn't show up in a lot, but the ones that she did, she nails. She, home run, out of the park. Huge Tay Leone fan. Oh, yeah. I don't eat flesh. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you take the next one? Oof, what a punch. The Basketball Diaries. Big punch. Oof. Um, still for me, uh, it's tough to pick my all time favorite Leo, but this is in the conversation. This is definitely, I mean, I can't even say his best young cause you got Gilbert Grape in there, yeah. which he's uh, nominated for two years earlier. It's, it's, um, it's a movie that oh, personally, like I remember, like I, I think this may have been the first real dramatic movie I had seen sure, that sure. truly affected me in a certain way. It's a tough movie. My mom showed this to me purposefully, but I think she was showing it to me because she wanted to educate me on drugs. Sure, yeah. Like, and, I'm going to show you the horror yep. of what this is. You think this shit's cool? Yeah. Watch what it can really do. And and I remember I saw this movie, and I connected to it on, I think because it was, like, my first time watching Leo, mm-hmm. and I think I just connected to that, like, oh, there's something about this actor mm-hmm. that I see myself in, or maybe, yeah, like, my, my first, like, like rumblings of maybe I want to do this, but I couldn't tell them, but I, the, the movie is so horrific in terms of what it does to this main character in his life because of drugs, when we finally get to the end scene where he's asking his mom for yeah. money oh through my the door. God. I mean, all I was doing was seeing me and my mom. Yeah. And I said to myself, I never want to put my mom through, through that. any yeah. of this. So ever since then, like 
growing up all through that like tumultuous time of like when drugs could have been like you know questioned or experimented with right all that went through my head was like i'm i'm not i'm not i saw the basketball diaries yeah. all right i know where this can go you get you get that fucking cocaine away from me <laughs> i i had a relationship with substances at a very young age that was very similar to that i mean my brother took to them very quickly so that was a huge deterrent for me but watching some of the movies we're talking about this one we're gonna shortly we're gonna be talking about a horrific alcoholism movie that it's like that this stuff doesn't look fun and it looks yeah. so real like and we should say basketball diaries is based on a true story about jim carroll jim carroll who rough and tumbler he had his crew in new york and they're just you know doing petty shit and then get into like quote unquote smaller drugs but then graduate to heroin yeah. and it ruins their fucking lives and it's it, there's also there's an interesting thing here that's kind of glossed over, but the Bruno Kirby character yes. and his what he does to boys is very in the grooming aspect of it is very important and a little glossed over, I think, because it was 95. But I was like, ooh, oh, OK, I kind of see the wheels spinning and why why this could lead to maybe I need to try to escape this with some sort of, you know. Or basically like, fuck you, I'm not playing on your team anymore, you creep, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's so much at play with that movie very, that's very. really, that's it's really, really hard and yeah. really intense. And um, it's done very, very well. And and I think that was the movie that like basically everyone really took notice of Leo. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, it definitely helps him get Titanic, but that's like, yeah. that was a huge thing. And then he crushes it the next year with Romeo and Juliet, which yep. a lot of people love. That was we're in peak young Leo did press oh. with Titanic, obviously, but oh my God, he's so great. Our next one is the first and one of our favorite film oh. trilogies of all time. We have Before Sunrise, directed by Richard Lankladder, a movie not with like a huge budget. He's coming off Dazed and Confused, uh, not necessarily a big hit at the time. Critics liked it, didn't make a lot of money. So then, you know, they make this smaller movie, Ethan Hawke, Julie Devley. It's perfect. I definitely it's didn't. Perfect. I didn't see this movie till 2004. I didn't. I honestly didn't even hear about it until before sunset. Uh, and then I'm hearing, oh, this is a sequel. And I'm like, oh, this is this is a sequel. that's nine years later. Like they've done this in real time. Like I got to watch this. So I think like the day before I saw before sunset in the theater, I had rented before sunrise. And it's such a good way to like get you into the world. But I mean, this is one I've just gone back to over and over. I all mean, of them, all of them, you know, I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, we we talked about before midnight in our in our episode of our favorite movie arguments. And I mean, you go back to our Richard Linkletter entire episode and we really dive deep into all of these movies. But I mean, at the end of the day, like before sunrise is such a movie that is ahead of its time. Yeah, very it's still is not even ahead of its time. It's still one of a kind. Like yeah. there's not many movies that have really kind of tried to do what this did and or could they ever do it as well yeah i think the the long walk and talk love story is something that's been tried again but not nearly this successfully yep. just people walking around talking talking about life they're young and and i and that was such a big thing of the 90s it was like, it really was like, character movies yep and <laughs> there wasn't like some big act one act two act three conflict that had to be resolved it was just like people talking and walking what's gonna happen at the end like th there's enough motivating you to like keep you curious but it's not about like she gets kidnapped or some shit like that you know and there was something about the youth of the time right like, everyone right. who was young during the 90s knew that they were young and because you, you get movies like reality bites even empire records yeah and movies like this where they talk about what it means to be young yeah I, 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 we don't know if we get that right now like if we really get the movies where young people are are really embracing where they're at and what's to come, like in the way that the movies like this did. Yeah, not like on a mainstream thing, not not necessarily. I mean, we do to, to varying degrees, but it's not given like 
It might be like the B plot of a movie. Yeah. Definitely not like the main A focus. Yeah, of this a movie. is what yeah. we're talking this about. Is it. This yeah. is it. This is the young thing. love. This I mean, we're in Europe. We're learning. We're like, you know, romanticism, like right. all of these things. God, I love this movie so much. Oh, oh, it's right. so good. So on my way out here, you know, I'm on a plane ride. It's <laughs> great. And I'm thinking, you know, they got the movies and the headrests. So I'm like, all right, let me try to find something pod related because we're recording a few episodes while I'm out here. And then I realized, all right, it's going to be a 95 movie. I was like, okay, I haven't seen this movie, arguably the most popular movie of 1995, if we are to believe the Academy. I've seen Braveheart twice, really not since I was like pre-college. And I've always, I was like, okay, so I put it on and I was glad I did because I hadn't seen it in a while because I know it means a lot to you. And like, yeah, this is, this is the kind of headlining movie of the year because it wins picture, mm-hmm. it wins director Mel Gibson, the second movie he directed. And it was it was a thing like people mainstream audiences talked about this movie. It was definitely a big deal. But you are, I would say, a bit more of a fan of this movie. So just tell us about your relationship with it. I'm curious. First time you saw it. I so I saw I didn't see it in theaters. Yeah. Well, me either. Me but I did see it very, very soon after it came out in video. Right. Like when I saw this movie for the first time, like I had cried in Terminator 2. Okay. Thumbs up. The thumbs up. But that was so personal to me about my relationship to my dad. Mm -hmm. A a movie itself had never made me cry just on the merits of the story and what was happening. Man, I'll be damned if I tell you that. Like, by the time that Mel Gibson is getting fucking tortured. Oh, my God. And he's like, just say it. Just- yeah. If you admit your allegiance to yeah. England and to the king, then yep. all this can be stopped. I think I think they mean stopped and like, we'll kill you quickly. Yeah, what that's they exactly. Yeah. He's dying. We're not going to torture you. Yeah. Um, but when he yells freedom, yeah. I was not expecting that. And when it happened, and it's such a movie moment because. Very, very. The, the score kicks in. Yeah. You get like the complete tears from like the people watching, but it all is so effective. I just remember I still I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Like I remember as a kid just like crying and yeah. the the payoff of this whole entire thing. And plus, I mean, it is a very well done like epic. Like there's so many great like I mean, you get that that battle scene. I mean, it's just impressive. Well, when I was watching on the plane, I was like, this movie is so 90s to me because yeah. the not like the. There's so many shots of him just like running on the hills and the music's up and there's like helicopter shots. There's a lot of that of him just like staring off or like really intense close ups or like the thing of him when he makes the first attack, like, you know, he's on the horse he and, you know, he attacks all them in the village. They he holds that for like six <laughs> minutes or so, like on the horse, slow mo. Look here. Look here. Look here. He really, you know, and I, I texted you something like it was being a smart ass, but uh I found out that like Avengers Endgame is three minutes longer than this movie, than Braveheart. <laughs> and I brought that up because I think it's funny how running times have changed. Like when, th- when I was a kid, when people talked about Braveheart, it was always qualified with, you know, I just got to make time for it because it's like so yeah. long. It's this long yep. epic. It's less than three. It's less than three hours. Now we, the Batman is over three. It's, it's just so funny to me how the three hour movie was like there was one a year usually when we were kids yeah. and they were. You had to like make a plan for it. It was going to own your day. And now like almost every major movie, like over 200 million, feels like it brushes up against the three hour mark. It's I mean, so strange to me. You're going over two and a half for sure. Yeah, it's so like, weird. It's very strange how the times have changed with that. You do think about at that time, you thought about how long that movie was. Right, right. And I'll also just say it controversial opinion i love mel gibson i know you do i know I, you I, grew I, up with him so i love the guy it's a, i mean 95 we ha- it can be like um it's a real shithead year in terms of like people who grew into shitheads you know we already talked about <laughs> you watch mr. your tongue <laughs> you were talking about mr slap we're gonna and we're gonna talk about a, a few others coming up here but 
yeah, I mean, not the uh, best progression in Hollywood history in terms of a career. Although he did get into all that trouble. And then you, you contradictory assholes in the Academy nominated him for best director in 2015 for Hacksaw Ridge. Rightfully what so. The hell? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so what kind of message are you sending? Like he's this, he's like the pariah of Hollywood. And then you nominate him and you're making jokes at his expense on stage. Like what? You nominated him, folks. Like I thought, uh, whatever. <laughs> he said, said a tough, said a tough go. A movie that was absolutely going to make both of our lists. I want to set this one up by saying that we're in a like a nice Hollywood hotel. It's just, it's very it's clearly been here for a while. It's very cozy. They've gone through some remodelings. We walk into the room and there's like Hollywood shit on the wall. I'm looking, looking around right now. We got like, who do I have? Austin Powers and Gold Member, <laughs> like a poster signed by Mike Myers. But then the centerpiece of our room is this great casino like spread where you have set pictures. You have a mini of the one sheet. And then we have signatures out here from De Niro, Sharon Stone, James Woods, of course, can't forget James Woods and Joe Pesci. And I was like, Wow, we're going to record our 95 podcast tomorrow. I can't believe it's there. So yeah, casino is something we talked about on the pod before. This is like, I think I'm at the age. This is so fucking crazy to say, but I think I can just finally like own the fact that uh, I like this movie more than Goodfellas. I do. I knew it. I I knew you were bridging up against this. It's like Goodfellas is an A plus masterpiece to me, but I, you know, casinos 30 minutes longer, but I just... If I'm forced to pick, I've watched Casino so many more times. And again, I, you know, it, this is like, what's the better brick of gold? Which yeah, one's shinier? Like, I love them both. They were only made, you know, five years apart with a lot of the same, you know, people involved, including the writers, Scorsese and Nick Pelleggi. I just love it. I absolutely love this movie. I still maintain that it is the fastest three hour movie ever made. It cruises by. There's not a false note in it. I love it. All of it. I, I completely agree. I, I'm I'm torn between I'm thinking for myself if I am gonna think about Goodfellas or Casino, which one I would pick, man, because they're Well Goodfellas is so like it does have a gritty, dark New York aesthetic. It does it's yeah. shot on like a grainier film stock. Casino has like a Las Vegas brightness to it. Both Scorsese knows how to use humor. Casino makes me laugh a bit more. There's yeah. just shit in it that like shouldn't make sense. That like no, it makes sense, but normal directors wouldn't include it. And it it's just this little thing, little things to help us identify with the characters more, with these psychopaths more. Like, even the way Joe Pesci says, like, yeah, I'd come home, I'd come home every night, and Jennifer didn't care. She was asleep on the couch watching television every night. It's like, just to include that, like, why did you do that? Or Pesci's like, so let's say, for instance, I want to go and get one of those little sandwiches that I like. Like, I just, it gives like, yeah, I would like to go get a sandwich someplace, but if I'm banned, I don't know. It all helps add to this context and if forced to pick, I just, I don't know. I love Casino. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I love it. There's a flow to it that is just unmistakable. Oh, it, Thelma. It, 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 it Great just, Thelma. It, it really does, like, more than most of his movies. I mean, all of his movies are so well edited, but there's something about this one that just really takes care of you. Yeah, I always tell people that, like, once Sharon Stone gets her hair cut and, like, things are getting decidedly more grim, like, pre-cut hair that movie moves like lightning fast and it's about an hour and a half like you don't even blink the basically like the come up of the movie when everything's going well and we're taking over the casino we're making money before the downfall happens it just cruises it moves so fast oh my god i love it as if (laughs) (laughs) i know when i said they don't make them like they used to comedies we were definitely saving one but this is yeah, this is probably the most influential comedy of the year, certainly. Yeah, I, I mean, it's still talked about. It's still, it's still regarded as, 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 a, as a classic movie of its time. And you've also got Paul Rudd, who hasn't aged a day since. 
I we're mean, talking about Clueless, by the way, folks. Yeah, Clueless, by, by Amy the way. Yes, yeah. Amy. Yes, he hasn't aged at all. No, what the hell is his secret? Name? I have no idea. A granola breath. Even Jared Leto, like uh, those two guys. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, yeah. They found the fountain of youth. Hey, James Bond in America, we drive on the right <laughs> side, side of the road. road. I am. You try driving at platforms. <laughs> uh, I could quote this movie as we are yeah. doing. You're a virgin the... who can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's way harsh, Ty. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, and for my money, it just does not get better than the traffic scene where oh, she gets the under he- the freeway. What the hell? That's the best line. Oh, what the hell? You You're going on the freeway. <laughs> Turn right. And then he the, goes back. Ah. The truck is just fucking blared down. I love that. But the way he goes, what the hell? You're getting on the freeway. I saw this in the theater with my parents and everyone was hysterical in that scene. Like it's just dying laughing. It's just oh one of the God. funniest scenes. Oh, it's so good. I, I remember I was working at the hotel one time and like sometimes we'd have to go into the room to clean up the tray when people weren't there yeah and they let the the tv on but their (laughs) stuff was still there so they were just out of the room sure sure and this scene came on and i go well i'm not gonna leave the room right now (laughs) until like you know the scene plays so i'm just standing there in front of the tv arms crossed cracking up and then all of a sudden the door opens and the guests come back in and i go I'm I'm really sorry. I'm gonna be out of here. I'm just cleaning the tray, but Clueless is on, and it's the funniest scene of the movie. And and because they're at first a little bit like, um, what are you doing here? Right. And I explain myself, and they go, "Is it the traffic scene?" I go, "It's the traffic <laughs> scene. Get over here." What the hell? Oh, it's so great. I uh, love that movie. Oh, love man. it. Love it. Love it. There's another one you love. Take this one. Oh man. So this really speaks to like my like where like. 1995 where i think a lot of my artistry came from sure so dead man yeah jim jarmusch yep. one of my all-time favorites i remember my mom playing this movie because she loves this movie and i didn't know what the hell i was watching yeah I'm watching this black and white movie that's very abstract very. i don't understand what's going on and i would only walk in at bits and pieces because i i just was like oh this movie again right but oh I, so she was like re, she's doing repeats she's doing Re- repeats okay of this i got movie. you i got and, you and i'm i'm like I like it was one of those movies that for the longest time i just associated i was like oh my mom loves that right, movie right. i hadn't really found myself to it yet and then you know you kind of fast forward a little later when i really get into it and i go oh jim jarmusch did dead man yeah Oh my god! And then I watch it, and I'm just completely blown away. Like it's just, um, it's just it's classic Jarmish stuff. It's, uh, I, I suppose the plot of it really is Johnny Depp plays this guy named William Blake who's trying to find a job, right? But that job doesn't exist where he is, and then he ends up befriending a Native American, yeah, and. Yeah, that's basically it. There's a scene by Michael Wincott in oh this movie God. where he talks about <laughs> like framing this guy for <laughs> eating his family. Oh, and that's right. Yeah. It's just one of the most ridiculously written scenes and Michael Wincott's voice. I love Michael Wincott down here. Oh, God, I love him. One of the all-time great voices. He's like, he's, he fucked him, he cooked him, he ate him. He did. <laughs> it's just like, it's amazing. Anyways, um, I just really recommend this movie. If you like Jim Jarmusch at all, if you don't know who he is, I think this is probably a good movie to kind it's of It's an like, accessible Jarmusch movie. Yeah. Is, despite how abstract it is, it's still like, he's taking care of you. He's taking along for the ride. Yep. You know what's interesting is my, I think my dad had seen this movie, but he like discovered, rediscovered it like a year or so ago and has been like watching it every few months. Like yeah. he like loves it. He loves it. He loves Jarmusch though. But yeah, I've always... This was one that I actually discovered in college. It was a big college movie. Like people had yep, it on. That sounds about and then right. It, oh man, yeah, I took to it right away, right mm-hmm. away. 
the score by Neil oh, Young. God, it's just so him good. and an electric guitar. Yep. Yep. And he didn't even have any of the material. Right. Really. He like, just did it. He just yeah. started doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite scores for that reason, because it's not polished. Yeah. It's sloppy. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But yet at the same time, it works. Yeah. It's like Miles Davis for Elevator of the Gallows. Yeah. Type thing. Like go yep. in a room, jam out, and just I'll use whatever the hell you give me. Yep. That's how it feels. And it works, though, which is great. And that's exactly how that works. Yeah. That's how that happened. <laughs> we actually, we set it up because we're going alphabetically here. We have a Johnny Depp double feature when he tells us about the next one, which you actually talked about recently on a pod. Was it a what are you watching recommendation? Yeah, yeah, it was. I don't remember what episode, but you definitely gave some love to this one, which I was surprised by pleasantly. Don Juan DeMarco. Oh, yeah. You talk about the 90s for me. I mean, Johnny Depp and Leo, those were the guys that I I just I couldn't get enough of their work. Right. uh, And Johnny Depp really kind of took to the forefront. And this is just such a weird bizarre movie where johnny depp's character believes that he is the famed don juan DeMarco, right. the master of romance dresses like i don't even know what you call it. there's a cape yeah he's got a mask yeah. he's met by a therapist played by marlon brando who is basically assigned to tackle who he believes this guy's suffering from some type of like yeah mental disorder sure sure and like and this thing, this is what I love about the movie is that it's not asking you to follow a strict narrative of this is this, this is that. Mm-hmm. Can you let go of whatever you think the world is? And even if it's not true, might it just be nicer to live in a complete like fantasy? Right. And right. the way that that idea manifests and actually helps Martin Marlon Brando's life in the movie, his yeah. character's life. It just ends up being the sweet, tender, fun, light movie that shouldn't work. Right. Like, that's what I think the coolest thing about the movie is, is like nothing about this movie should work. On paper, it's like, how are you going to achieve what you want the audience to feel with this amount of absurdity? Yeah. And yet it does. And it's so light and airy and fun and and tender. I, I I love this movie. I think it's really great. Have you ever seen The Fisher King, directed by Terry Gilliam oh, with Jeff Bridges yeah. and Robin Williams? Yeah. It's kind of the it same thing. It is kind of like Yeah, that. where like Jeff Bridges is like a radio DJ personality, you know, not unlike I think like Howard Stern and then Robin Williams is like a paranoid schizophrenic homeless person yep. and they meet each other and it's kind of it's kind of the same they sort have of that relationship which thing. is and he's like is it better just to let Robin Williams like live in his absurd yep. life like that he's created and then you find out at the end, why he's created this. And yeah, it, I can't say it ends as, you know, it's not like happy and go lucky. And yeah. It's very Gilliam. It just changes on you real quick. And there's some great stories Johnny Depp has of, you know, Marlon Brando at this time, yeah. you know, wasn't exactly the most um, into it sure, actor. Sure. Though he actually said that he did care a lot about the filming of this one because he enjoyed everyone who was making it. Good. But Johnny Depp said that he he would have to like put Marlon's lines on his hand. Oh, of course, yeah. So when during they were during a scene, Johnny Depp would just when he was off camera flash the palm of his hand to Marlon, and Marlon would read the lines off of Johnny. Depp's He's been hand. doing that since before the Godfather. I know. I mean, it's when just crazy. Duvall tells him that Sonny's dead. They're in the Godfather. You can see uh, behind the scenes press photos of Duvall just has all of Brando's lines like taped to his shirt, taped yeah. to his suit, his chest. Uh, oh, Brando! It's so oh, great. God. Great so movie. great. Yeah, I'm glad that's like a not one that people talk about a lot in relation to this year. So I'm glad it got brought up. Yeah, cool. I don't think it's I think it's really one that's kind of forgotten yeah. from his career. Too. Yeah, I agree. Both of their I careers. Agree. Well, next one, I don't have a lot to say about it because we just talked about it for 90 minutes, which is Michael Mann's heat. A, you know, we said everything we could. The 
in the previous episode, but just a definitive, the definitive Michael Mann film, arguably the best crime thriller ever, certainly like in the, it's just on the Mount Rushmore of movies of its kind, bank robbery, crime thrillers, whatever, Michael Mann movies, anything. It is a, like an uncontested masterpiece that we both absolutely love. Listen to the previous episode if you missed it and you want to hear us rap about it for like 90 plus minutes. Ugh, so much we could say. Here's one did. thing <laughs> that we didn't say, though. Oh, well, I'll figure I'll throw this at you. Al Pacino, mm-hmm. where does his character rank for you from Heat in the rest of his career? So, yeah, this is a complex question, actually, because both of them, we, we didn't get into this. This is so funny. Like, I think their roles in Heat mark a very clear turning point to where I don't know if they actively go after characters of this kind anymore they kind of turn into they embrace like their age and the older men thing like Pacino still has you know he's got any given Sunday he's got the insider he's got insomnia he's good in those but he's turning like older and you know De Niro basically post analyze this is yeah embraces old De Niro funny De Niro like yeah, by meet the comedy. parents he's like but even in analyze this like you know he's he's dressed up he's a gangster he's in the suit and you kind of still believe that this is like you know, hardened, younger-ish De Niro, but I think Heat really marks that turning point. So it's tough because, like, it it doesn't feel right to me or even appropriate to put like Michael Corleone and Sonny from yeah. Dog Day Afternoon in with Vincent Hanna. But I don't know. It's definitely a memorable one. But I mean, Godfather Two, Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather. Like it. I don't know. It could break my top five. I guess it would. I think I Vincent think Hanna would, would make the top I think five. I think it might be number five. I don't know about De Niro, though, because we got, I mean, we have Travis Bickle. We have yeah, Johnny Niro, Boy from Mean Streets. Kinda, we have yeah. The Deer Hunter, Raging Bull. That's already four. That I'm just like, yeah. The Godfather 2, that's five. I don't know, but De Niro has uh, acted a lot more than Pacino. Pacino has significantly less credits, so there's less to choose from. But that's always a fun thing, Pacino versus De Niro. But I think this ranks very highly with them, but no one, I, they've done better work. I'll put it that way. Now, to me, a slightly more interesting question is, have they been better since? Has anyone delivered? Has Al Pacino been better since Vincent Hanna? Has De Niro been better since Neil McCauley? That's one. I mean, I I just rattled off some Pacino roles that I love. De Niro, I think you can make a pretty good case for, at least until The Irishman, because I think they're both fucking flawless in that movie. Yeah, Pacino kills it in The Irishman. Yeah. That's a fun conversation that is to a go good conversation. I mean, I love on any given Sunday. I think Al Pacino is great in that. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I absolutely love that movie. I've seen it so many times. Yeah. So I, I, I think they have been, but uh, I don't I, I think I think you're right when you say this was a big turning point. Like yeah. there, there was before this and then after and then whatever happened after just became what it was. after. Yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. The, the guard had been changed, as they say. Who played Wangro and Heat again? What was his name? The great Jesse James. Kevin Gage is his name. You fucking. We love you, Kevin Gage. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) So the next one, in terms of not just like movie dumb, but movies that have actually affected my real personal life. There are a few up there. It's a very um, specific category, but leaving Las Vegas is there because this is I saw this at such a young age and I'm like, oh, my God, I knew that wasn't even at 10. I knew like. Not everyone who has a drink behaves like that, but you, some people could. Yeah. And that's like, whoa. And, you know, my relationship with Nicolas Cage in 1995 is like my mom loved Honeymoon in Vegas. Moonstruck was on. Like, I think I had maybe seen parts of Raising Arizona, but this is it's still nuts that he did this, that he won Best Actor. Nuts for all the best reasons. But this is a very like risky movie, risky performance. And I've maintained pretty much since I saw it that. I believe this is the best, most realistic 
movie about alcoholism and the best, most realistic performance about alcoholism in Nicolas Cage. Tough movie to love. It's very, they knew what they were doing. It is down, dirty, and gritty, but oh my God, I'm so indebted to it. I just, I absolutely love it. I rewatched it, um, I think like last year and was like, oh, fuck. It still hits. It's a doozy. It is. And everything you said is just completely right. I I also formed a relationship to it during pre-production of There I Go. So like, I remember this movie hit home for me on a certain way of being like, this is... This movie is on another level. Yeah. Like, exactly what you're saying, like, on on so many reasons. Yes, the alcoholism, the performance, but the movie itself, it's operating in a a way that it wants to do, and and there's no control over it. Like, you let it just go. And I think that's just an impressive filmmaking thing, is when you can reach a level where you're like, all right, this movie is, we're doing something different with this. Well, most every addiction movie, like, Shame doesn't really do this, but most movies at some point it comes up like, what are you going to do, buddy? What do I have to do to help you to get better? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing to fix this? And he, Mike Figgis and then star Nick Cage, like they tackle that head on by being like, you can never ask me to quit ever. And I'm doing this to kill myself. This is all with intention. I'm drinking myself to death. And, you know, it's. The way the movie goes, you're like, yeah, you're on this path, you're on this train, and it's so grim, but it is real. It's mm-hmm. some people's realities, and it's just, you know, it's a it's a tough movie, but one that's very, very important. And Fuck. we've we've said this uh, every time we talk about this on the pod, but Elizabeth Shue. This is oh my god, Whoa. this is so tough for me because Best Actress, 1995, Susan Sarandon wins for Dead Man Walking. I kind of think that's a. Uh, a saving face for Thelma and Louise and Lorenzo's oil. She was nominated for both of those, but they give it to her for this. That's not to take anything away from her. She's playing a, a real life character. It's a very good performance, but you also have Sharon Stone as Ginger. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've, we've talked about this like yeah. on this podcast yeah, before. Have, and then you have Elizabeth Shue leaving Las Vegas. I'm definitely, I'll, Susan Sarandon, I love you. I probably would have given it to you maybe for Thelma. I don't know if it's in Jodie Foster, Sansa Lambs. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, it's between Sharon Stone, Elizabeth Shue. It's tough because it's first and only nominations for both. I don't mm-hmm. think either are going to be nominated again. But I, what Elizabeth Shue is bringing to this is like, you know, they're both playing prostitutes, but on very different degrees, prostitutes in Las Vegas. So yep. there's some similarities, but that's kind of where it ends. But like even her owning her shit in that movie, yeah. like that character, it's Sarah. It's like, oh, my God, because it is a two hander. It's not just Nicolas it Cage. It's not. And I actually read the book after I rewatched it. And the book is narratively with both. It's equally with Ben and with Sarah, which is cool before, you know, like before they meet. So you get to know them just like the movie set up. But yeah, I would probably if if I'm voting now, I'd go Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, 100 percent. I, I think she's honestly one of my favorite. That's one of my f- most favorite female character performances. Yeah, it's I've so seen. good. It's so good. Next up, oh, my favorite Julianne Moore performance, and it's one that not a lot of people talk about. It is Safe, directed by Todd Haynes, and it's it's basically about, this is a hard movie, like I think Criterion picked it up. Definitely watch Safe if you like Far From Heaven. Todd Haynes, Todd Haynes has done more popular movies, but if you go back to Safe, it's like, basically Julianne Moore is like this housewife, and she starts getting sick, and she like doesn't know why and it's really really sick and she starts to think is it because of the chemicals in these cleaning products around the house and that's really the movie but it's so oh my god it's so paranoid and anxious very very indie not a big budget love this movie and yeah i do i still think it's my favorite julianne moore and i love julianne moore i mean we both do but one of her first starring roles and just fully committed fully going for it so if you like what she does with pains in let's say far from heaven 
Go back here and watch Safe. Wow. Next up, this is one we both absolutely love. It's a very popular 1995 movie, David Fincher 7. Oh boy, do I love it ever. Always been one of my favorite Brad Pitt's, one of my favorite Morgan Freeman's, their chemistry together, how they are just polar opposite in every way, but they have to find common ground. I mean, some of my favorite line deliveries of both of their careers, like, honestly, have you ever seen anything like this? Yeah. And he just goes, no. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, Freeman's great one of looks right at him and for the first time ever, you and I are in total agreement. Yeah. Um, like, I love that. And then you have, you know, this is a difficult person to talk about now, but we're talking about 1995. But Kevin Spacey just comes in, agrees to not be credited, comes in and completely owns the last 30 minutes. You know, he'd been in Glengarry. He'd been in, he'd been in some stuff. He actually wins an Oscar this year, not for this performance, but... This is a damn fine incarnation of someone who is completely fucking out of their mind yep. and hyper intelligent. And this is uh, what did I said, like Casino's the most watched, Bad Boy's the most watched. Seven's right up there, too, though. I've seen this movie countless so many times. times. Yeah, it's just I mean, I've, I've buried this into the ground. It's a note perfect movie. It really is. I mean, I, I remember one of the first film study things I've ever did was the scene um where they're where they're walking in on the gluttony scene. Yeah. And oh, and we're seeing like the body with the lights and mm-hmm. all of just the different things that went into just that scene alone. And just if you look at pre production. Right. Like getting that to look the way that it looks fucking grim and dark and they're not oh. brightening it up. Like cops would usually like you'd bring in like floodlights to flood out the scene yeah. so you could see it. But Fincher doesn't want to do that because he wants to keep it like moody and dark and gross. And I love the the, guy, the doctor, uh, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan Freeman goes, thank you, doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Brad Pitt opens up and sees the bug is, oh, fucking vomit. They're blooding it. <laughs> I don't know. Go check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like really a definitive serial killer fucking with the cops movie. Like, it yep. just doesn't get better than this. Yep. Oh, God. Next up, one of my favorite Gus Van Zandt movies with, at the time, I don't think a never better Nicole Kidman in To Die For, a truly great darkly humorous satire which uh, just a great indie cast like dan hadia is in this casey affleck young joaquin phoenix young this is a really hilarious but again very dark satire i don't really want to say what it's about it's based on a true story but please go watch to die for if you want to see like i mean nicole kidman is just so in tune with what she's doing here basically like a local reporter who you know doesn't who tries to have a young kid who's infatuated with her commit a crime on her behalf. That's pretty much what it's about. And the fallout of that. It's a great movie. And then the last one in this like top tier list is again, a a difficult movie to talk about for a few reasons, but like in 1995, when the usual suspects hit, everyone was rewatching this because everyone saw it once and were completely fucking guffawed by the end. Wow. What a word. Thank you. Like where, huh? How, what and then it's something that you have to keep watching over and over and over you know this is four years before the sixth sense it's still one of the great all-time twist endings ever but i remember like engaging in conversation with many adults about this movie and like how many times have you rewatched it like did, and no one no one predicted this ending in 95 no one if you do now like okay fine it's but no one knew who kaiser soze was yeah. so it, it just completely you know surprised everyone and and of course this is the movie kevin spacey wins the oscar for rightly so i know that hasn't necessarily aged well this movie's directed by a really gross shithead whose name i'm not even going to repeat like fuck him but yeah i actually watched this rewatched this movie in preparation for this podcast and i was like 
Yeah, it's you know, it some of the people in it have not aged well, but the movie still holds up. Like it's still and, really good. And Stephen Baldwin, who knew, is great. Yeah, Stephen Baldwin's Kev, great. Kevin man. Pollack, God, I love him. Benicio, yep. Benicio. all that Gabriel Byrne, the five of them are so, they're just great. They yep. are great together. Yeah. And and you know, and that's and that's the the shitty thing. Like, I mean, the people that are involved and and the things that they've done. But when the work is the work, right? I right. mean, it, it's still like, yeah, you can't watch that movie and just deny that what you've just seen is just a it's a really, really good movie. Yeah, yeah. So d- I definitely wanted to mention that here, despite shit that's gone on, you know, in recent years. So those were like ones that you know I might have loved some of those more than you. You loved some of your picks more than me, but those were like our top tier fifteen films of nineteen ninety five. We definitely. I, you know, we didn't miss any. We just I want to give a little love to some others because, again, this was like a crazy good movie year. So I'm going to go through some quickly. Well, let's start with like 12 Monkeys and the American President, because we both have stuff to kind of say about them. Like 12 Monkeys. We already mentioned Terry Gilliam already mentioned Brad Pitt. This actually gets Brad Pitt his first Oscar nomination yeah. and good movie. Weird fucking movie. Like, oh, it, yeah, it was a, it was kind of a thing at the time. I remember people talking about it. And I remember when I eventually saw it, didn't see it in 95. It was like years later. I went, Jesus, that's so much weirder than I thought it was going to be. But, you know, it's Gilliam. It's yeah. going to and it ages really well. It does. Actually, like, you, it does. you watch it now. And I feel like, you know, like there's so much about science fiction and things that have really taken off over the course of the last like 30 years yeah. almost. And I kind of feel like this is one of those movies where if this was made to like the idea of this movie, if someone was to pitch the plot of this, right, I think would be bought and sold immediately. Probably it'd be perfect, like a Netflix movie. Yep. There've probably been variations of this, variations yeah. of it. But at the time, I don't think anyone was asking for this. No, it was no one has ever asked for a Ter- Terry Gilliam. Yeah, movie. no one's ever asked for a Terry Gilliam movie, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, yeah, you. I mean, you've got peak Bruce Willis. Yep. right here, and you've got the young Brad Pitt, which I always find Brad Pitt's career so fascinating because. This was at a time where the dude was making or breaking his career with every movie. Yeah. Because yeah. he admits to not being the best actor early mm-hmm. on in his career, but he's been being put in these positions where it's sort of like, you're the it guy. You're the it leading man guy. And yeah. if this movie works, it's because you. If it fails, it's because of you. So yeah. he was living or dying by his hill for every movie. And some of them did not work. Meet Joe Black. Oh, like some yeah. of them did not work. Uh, seven Years in Tibet. Yeah. And he, and he was in the public eye. People were like, oh, fuck Brad Pitt. He's not a good actor. He's right. just really good looking. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. fought that stigma yeah. for a long, long time. time. And I think Seven was like the big one that broke out because Fincher yeah. took a chance on him. Mm-hmm. It took fin- Say that again. Fincher took a chance on Brad Isn't that Pitt. nuts? Isn't that insane? Like that, but that was the reality was. of that time. It was. And then when this movie happened, this was the movie where I think people were starting to turn their heads and be like, oh, maybe this guy is pretty good. Well, it's a really good character performance of someone who's deeply mentally disturbed. Yeah. And like the fidgets and everything. And like, yep. it's, you know, it's really cool that he got nominated for the Oscar for it. It's you know, it's just cool. And it is a really... It's just it's a good, very fun, yeah, weird movie. It's a weird-ass movie. So, and then The American President, I mentioned, you know, directed by Rob Reiner, yep. written by Aaron Sorkin. This is just like starring Michael Douglas as The American President. Just... Kind of a breeze. Him it's and Annette Benning are it's, really good together. I Richard Dreyfus is like a really good, you know, right wing shithead in it. Like I just, I've always loved this movie. It's yep. It's peak Sorkin dialogue. Like it's still kind of in the same smart assy vein as A Few Good Men. He hasn't yep. gotten like super serious yet. Like being the Ricardos just doesn't have the same flair or energy or brightness as like the American president does. You know, there's something very that that this the symbiotic relationship between Rob Reiner and Aaron Sorkin. It is, works perfectly because this was peak like 
Reiner with his like uh, his levity and his kind of sentiment. Yeah. And mixed with Sorkin's dialogue, it right. really does kind of fly. This is this is a very funny uh, movie to say. This is my favorite movie I ever watched in school. Oh, you know cool. what I mean? Yeah. You know, like sometimes oh, they'll yeah. put on movies yeah. because they don't have nothing to do for the class exactly. that day. Yeah. I forgot what class it was. It was probably history. But they put on The American President. Oh, and, that's funny. And I watched the movie and I go, this is great. Is that anyone is else movie. loving this movie right now? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, a few more just to breeze through. The Brothers McMullen. That's Edward Burns' first movie. Love that one. The Crossing Guard. This is starring Jack Nicholson, directed by Sean Penn. Yep. Sean Penn's movies that he's directed don't really get talked about that much. I've liked a lot of them, but The Crossing Guard is really, really good. David Morse is the co-star, and I love David Morse. He's, the, he's awesome. Oh, he's great. Devil in a Blue Dress starring Denzel Washington, a great L.A. set noir in the 1940s. Georgia, which features my favorite Jennifer Jason Lee performance. I love that movie. A really down and dark indie Kicking and Screaming, Noah Baumbach's first movie, Nick of Time, Johnny Depp yep. had a great 95. I just wanted to call that one out because this was one of the first movies I saw that was set in real time. And it's yeah. pretty dedicated real it time. Really is. And I've that movie is largely responsible for my obsession with that subgenre because I love real time movies. Yep. I love if you can pull it off. And this one, that one does. I love it's that fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a little, it's a ride. That was a big TV movie. Like that was on TV all the time. You know, Chris. Christopher Walken, Mr. Watson. <laughs> and then a few more to round out here. Like I couldn't, I, I said, okay, that's good. We'll call it. And then I went, there's still just a few more. Damn it. Like, yeah, so yeah. here we go. Honorable mentions to round it out. We got Clockers. You got Scorsese and Spike Lee collabing. Copycat, which is a really kind of sadistic, you know, serial killer movie. Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. Big movie. Dead Man Walking, we mentioned. Dead Presidents, really good crime movie. Dolores Claiborne, yes. whoa, takes some dark turns. I actually read that book in the last year. It's, oh my God, that thing is nasty. Starring a great David Strathairn, Kathy Bates, Fallen Angels, which is a really popular movie that's done a lot better kind of in time of people talking about it. Wong Kor Wai, um, as his movies increased in popularity with like In the Mood for Love, then people were going back to the older ones. That's a great one. Four Rooms, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez wanted to do something together because they both had mutual success. So they... They made short films and they got two other directors to make short films in a kind of fun anthology. Higher Learning, which is John Singleton, really intense college set movie about race. In the Mouth of Madness, directed by John Carpenter. Murder in the First with Kevin Bacon, Gary Oldman, Christian Slater. Uh, not a lot of people talk about this one now. It's not the best movie. This movie, I don't know if I've ever been more scared by a movie than this one. It scared oh, wow. the fucking shit out of me because... It's a mentally unwell person getting the shit kicked out of him by the prison warden like the whole time, oh. just for no reason, just sadistic, animalistic abuse. And it, oh my God, it like, it was very scary to see it 10 years old. <laughs> and then finally, we have Oliver Stone's follow up to JFK, Nixon, just like three and a half hours, Anthony Hopkins playing Nixon. I did rewatch this one about, a, I don't know, a couple months ago and I went, man, it's certainly not as good as JFK, but he really went for it and kind of threw, threw it all against the wall. But those were my final honorable mentions. What a good. year. It really is. What I mean, a year. I thought it was fun to break them into like, they don't make them like they used to mm -hmm. categories. Cause a lot of these we're just, I don't know if we're ever going to see this type of movie again, but you know, oh I, my God. I just don't think that you're going to get such a well-rounded year. Yeah. I mean, you had everything. I mean, you're talking about the best quality dramas, yeah. some of the funniest movies that are still talked yeah. about today. Some great genre thrillers. Yep. These indie movies that just are, are, are just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, 
the the year had everything action was what a, a horror movie there was there was i mean in the mouth of madness species. is a big one species <laughs> yeah not horror like still needed to come back yeah, around there, to come, there was years not the time when for we it. didn't see much i'm trying to think of like what started that back up it was honestly around like blair witch blair witch really that was just what i was going to say really did that to like oh my god people are into this genre and then yeah. you see uh, but you know that that engages completely not in vents but then we get so many found footage movies that becomes a thing and then very in a few years later we get the pg-13 success horror movie the ring yeah. which changes that level and we start to see a lot of these pg-13 remakes of you know japanese films or whatever and then a few years later we get into the the gross out stuff like saw yeah. hostile um cabin fever the eli roth thing but Horror, I don't have a relationship with horror movies like in 1995. Yeah. Not really. That that's a good question, but no, I don't I don't know. Some people might consider like seven a horror movie. I wouldn't, not traditionally, but yeah, that it certainly is terrifying. Right? Yeah, that yeah. genre comes and goes. I mean, this is around the time of like what, like Halloween four, four or five. Yeah, I was yeah. Say, we're, so, we're we're in like the peak adjacent exactly, to like, adjacent yeah. eight or what whatever it could have been. So yeah, it's kind of a lull for all that stuff. That genre hadn't really found its footing yet. But we mentioned a shitload of movies there. Yeah. So what I thought would be fun, never done this before, but when I was looking at your top tier ones and my top tier ones, there were basically, there were about five that we had in common that we both put in our top tier. So I'm going to list them and then we are going to do our collective, what are you watching, shared top five films of 1995. So we're going to first argue about the five movies and then we're going to argue about the order a little bit. So let me see if these five are fair. Okay. Before Sunrise. Whew. Casino, mm. Heat, mm. Leaving Las Vegas, mm. Babe. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to find a funny one. And, of course, Seven. Mm. Were those your five? Those are my okay, five. Okay, okay. Those so were absolutely my five. I was worried that Before Sunrise might not have made the list. No, and I don't know if that... That wouldn't make maybe my top five personal list, but we're doing a shared one here. So I wanted to, you know, give it equal weight for both of us, you know, but... Now comes you shared wisely. Thank you. Now comes the ranking. I would put before sunrise at five of these five movies. Yeah, yeah. I ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so we'll do before yeah. sunrise at five. Yeah, I now agree. Now it's gonna get fucking dicey. Um, mm. number four, maybe heat. Yeah, you agree? Okay, so it's a battle between where heat and casino lie. I think I would personally put casino above heat. Okay, well I. You mean higher ranking? Yeah, or? higher ranking. Okay, so would I. So, uh, well, okay. So we got Before Sunrise, then Heat. Then Heat. So number three, it sounds like you might put Casino there. Casino's vying for my number one right now, honestly. it's it's Okay, what's oh, your number one? I am torn between seven and leaving Las Vegas. Okay, here's what we're going to do then. We're going to do Before Sunrise, five. Heat, four. Yeah. Casino, three. Okay. Seven two and leaving Las Vegas one. I think we should fucking do it. I think I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I am too. Because leaving Las Vegas is one. You know, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, actually. I like. I've that always too. wanted to call that my favorite movie of that year because just the importance it had on me. And it's not like like Casino Heat Seven. Those are you know we argued about is Heat a genre movie on the Heat Pod, but those are more genre based stuff. And Before Sunrise is its own it's you know its own cute thing. tender thing. But yeah, I think leaving Las Vegas is a really good representation of where like what dark indie american cinema yep. had to offer at that time and if i recall correctly on our twitter series when we did this i picked leaving las vegas and you picked casino that's right because you want yeah purposefully yeah. for that and we all talked about how seven wasn't on that list i remember right. we had a lot of comments on that 
so and I think it's just because we wanted to shout out the movies that yeah because seven is the one that comes to mind at the forefront yeah it's like you oh think yeah of like when you see that on the list of anything it's like yep. oh well that's obviously the best one mm-hmm. and rightfully so so I like the idea that we're going with leaving Las Vegas as our favorite one yeah followed by seven, seven yeah and then bring it up with casino yeah I think that works really I well I think that's beautiful all right, so we made it to What Are You Watching? Man, that was fun. What a fucking year. What a year. God, I love these year ones because it, it kind of like reminds me of if it's a year when we were alive, like where we were at that time, but also just looking at all these and going, I can't believe all these were just made and released. Like if you were an of age fan of movies, you know, where you could like go to movies, we couldn't go to anything we wanted to in 95. Mm-hmm. Must have just been great to go to the theater to see all this shit over and over and over. Yeah. Imagine going to the theater to see Casino. Like, oh. and then two weeks later, you go see Heat. Like, that's crazy. It's that's insane. Crazy. That's insane. Like, when was the last time we had two movies that were that good? Yeah, exactly. Come out back to back with back the to same back. star. Like, it's nuts. Oh, it's man. nuts. I, oh, one day. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to go first here for what are you watching? So I want to hear you complain about always going first. Wow. And wow, wait, uh, that's one way to treat people. <laughs> I am. I'm. Uh, this is a slight double down because I intentionally breezed over this movie while we were going. Devil in a Blue Dress, oh. directed by Carl Franklin, is a film noir set in 1940s L.A. It stars Denzel Washington, Tom Sizemore, Jennifer Beals. And Don Cheadle in a breakout role. He plays a psycho named Mouse. You will never forget his first scene. Criterion is releasing this soon. I just saw it on like, you know, they released their what's coming out like a couple months ahead of time. Mm -hmm. This will be out. And I hope that brings it up in conversation more because this is one like the people who have seen it. Roger Ebert loved this movie and was really championing it. Like the people who've seen it, they were only trying to get more people to watch it because it's just one of those ones that's oddly a little under the radar. Like it's a great peak Denzel performance again Don Cheadle if you like him this was his breakout role and just want more people to see it devil in a blue dress I this is one where that I do not own but I'm gonna buy that criterion and be like okay good now I got it it's a great film it's great Tom Sizemore's a nut job in it imagine that imagine that yeah Yeah. I was gonna say when is Tom Sizemore not yeah (laughs) uh I'm doubling down the same as you offer up the basketball diaries Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I'm realizing as I was talking about it, I would re-watch that movie as a kid yeah. over and over and yeah. over. And that's a very weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like, who, who's going to go and start re-watching the Basketball Diaries? Right. Like, it did scare me on the level of like, okay, I don't want to end up like this. Yeah. So it gave me like a good foundation as a person at a young age to to watch a movie like that. But now I'm thinking about it. And I go, why did I re? Because I got what I, what the, my mom's objective was for it, right? But what am I doing going back and rewatching it? And I think it's just it's it 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 tackled my sensibility for I think what might have started my love for what eventually I would do with my life. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it when you asked the question, you were there dramatically mm-hmm. at this at this age watching those movies. I wasn't. Right. This may have been the very first movie yeah. that actually hit that chord and I'm going back and watching a pretty devastatingly tough movie to oh, watch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Being like, wow, look at this. What am I like I like couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. So I yeah, I'm really I'm doubling down going with the basketball diaries. Yeah. And it's also I think the age we were at, like eight, nine, ten, you're ve- it's very formative. So what's coming in could potentially, you know, set a track on for your life. Yeah. I'm the same way. This is not a nineteen ninety five movie, but I saw it in nineteen ninety five, as mentioned, Taxi Driver. That was the movie where I it's all it's the fucking shot of him talking on the phone and then the camera pans to the hallway. Yep, yep. That was a shot where I was like, 
I, I mean, as best I can trace my memory, that was a thing that where I wanted to become a director or be more clued into why did they do that? What's going on? What is that telling us? And that was like really giving very detailed analytical thought to movies started in 1995. Yeah. I know we've talked about that shot yeah. before on this, but in, in, cause I had the exact same reaction to it, but didn't, isn't it also amazing how, how much thought and all of a sudden it, that, that, that shot alone opens us up, Yeah, but how simple it is. It's so simple. That's the beauty of it. A lot of the best shit in movies has to do with simplicity. Like yeah. you, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It just, I mean, it's a simple, we are tracking right. And yep, that's, that's it. it while he's still talking. And then he walks down a hallway. There is no special effects. There's nothing fancy about it. There's no gunshots, no stabbings, no nothing. It's nope. so simple, but it's all about point of view. It's yep. the director letting you know that I can't even let you watch this because it's so embarrassing and just mortifying. So we're going over here, completely isolating us from him, which works perfectly. I didn't get that at 10, but I got yeah. that they did that shit for a reason. Yep. You know, something yeah. clicked. Oh, God. So great. So great. 1995. What a great year. I'm so glad we did this. Talked about Oh my God, so many movies. I mean, there's even, believe me, there's a bunch we didn't mention that people, like someone's favorite movie of 1995 could be Sense and Sensibility. Like it could be. It's an Oscar winner. Ang Lee directed it. It's a well-made movie. We just didn't talk about it because we're talking about so many other ones, but that's not. I believe not, Ace Ventura 2 came out it, in 1995. That's, that's still my <laughs> favorite funny scene in all the movies is the hippo scene. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So there's, there's still just like a bunch more, but we tried to keep it to, I don't know, 60, 70, but. Uh, that uh, shared what are you watching top five was great. I love that. That was good. We came to that quite amicably. We did. We did indeed. If you will. If we miss some of yours or if you have some 1995 movies you want to double down with us, let us know on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. But as always, thank you for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, well, oh my, next time we're going to cover the films of Gaspar and Away. Time destroys all things. Stay tuned. That's always a fun thing, Pacino versus De Niro, but they rank very highly for what they're doing, but I think we've seen them do better before. Wow, that sounded intense. (laughs) That's a Hollywood Boulevard potential crash right there. Ooh.